Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off a new week. Hope you had a great weekend. Really appreciate you letting us be part of your day. Busy program today. We check weather for the prospects of snow. We're needing moisture in a lot of places. Snow this time of year in places. Other places still waiting. We'll see what Bryce Anderson, DTM meteorologist, has to say about the forecast ahead. And also check in that weather forecast for South America as well. We have a long-range plan for the cattle industry put forth by RCAF. We'll talk with their CEO, Bill Buller, today about that plan. And a big, big report coming out tomorrow from USDA. We'll preview that report with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing coming up on our program today. Boy, a lot of attention on that. Will it add more fuel to this uh, hot market, or will it kind of simmer things down a little bit it'll be interesting to see we'll get uh, some thoughts from naomi on that a little bit later on but we're always glad to kick things off with sarah wyant editor and president of agripulse communication sarah thanks for joining us well good morning mike always a pleasure well a lot it seems like so many things have happened since we last talked a week ago and just like the world it's changed more uh so we'll get into some of that. But I want to start with some news that broke late Friday, and that is the case on uh, the appeal of the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling on the small refiner exemptions from a year ago. That case is now going to the Supreme Court. And, well, I guess, um, depending on your point of view on this, I mean, at least it, it should bring resolution now. It's going to the highest court. But it also means if you're the, on the biofuel side, it's going to delay it even more. I mean, they've been waiting over a year for it to, that case and that ruling to actually be implemented. Well, you're exactly right. And, and kudos to our own Spencer Chase for uh, filing a story on this that uh, came out <laughs> late Friday. Uh, the case is an appeal of a ruling issue nearly a year ago by the 10th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, and that court struck down three SREs and also created a new rationale for the EPA to follow in considering future waivers. So there's uh, a lot of hope uh, that, uh, you know, um, the from the biofuels groups that uh, this will bring a final resolution. But as you say, it, uh, it means we're going to have to be waiting a lot longer for uh, this to be clear in, in some sort of way that then people can plan and businesses can go forward and make those kinds of long-term decisions. Yeah, I remember it was a year ago, back in the days when we had in-person meetings, uh, the biodiesel conference and the ethanol conference, I mean, they were hailing that decision as, hey, this this means we can finally move forward on this. We have some good news. And they were pinning so much of their optimism on that ruling that they finally got. And here it is a year later, and we still don't have action on it. And as we said, it's going to be a while longer. So we wait and wait on that. Now, I mentioned meetings where we were in person. That was a year ago. Now it's virtual meetings, and the American Farm Bureau virtual meeting is underway. 
Yeah, they had a great start yesterday. Obviously, the president's address is usually the big kickoff, and uh, President Zippy Duval did a nice job highlighting all their accomplishments and how they've been able to pivot and uh, still farming. Hashtag has been successful. Um, I think that he's shared some of their con, uh, concerns about uh, a lot of the things that are still unknown about the pandemic and how this is going to impact farmers and ranchers in 2021. Uh, and we asked him whether or not that would mean, uh, you know, continuation of these farm support payments, whether it's market facilitation or CFAP. And basically, he's suggesting that uh, because of the uncertainty, uh, we don't know how the administration is going to handle this. And so they're going to be open to, I think, still additional assistance if it's needed. It's going to be interesting. Uh, since we last talked, uh, we now know the Democrats will have control of uh, both the House and the Senate. Uh, and when we look on that Senate side, I would guess then uh, Joe Biden's picks for key spots, uh, those will go through much quicker now. And perhaps uh, they'll hit the ground, be able to hit the ground certainly more quickly. And we'll see uh, if the, they can uh you know, get action on some of these issues because there's going to be such a big pile of to-do things on desks of these people coming into these positions. Well, uh, I believe that you're right on that. But, you know, the Democrats in the House have already indicated that they do plan to pursue impeachment of the president. And there are some folks who are saying that maybe they should start that process but then hold off so that these nominees can go through and get down to business, get cleared, and, and get down to business in their respective agencies. So we'll be watching that carefully to see how those different challenges unfold. But you're right, Mike, the, the entire sentiment uh, around the U.S. as well as around the globe uh, after what happened last week in the Capitol is entirely different. And uh, the environment of, you know, just the fear that people had to go through, uh, we had a reporter uh, ben Nully, who was in the Capitol shortly before they stormed it, and thank God he got out. Uh, but, you know, we know so many people that work in the Capitol and all those folks who were at risk, and it's just an entirely new environment for, in so many ways, um, you know, not only the country in turmoil, the political uh uh, uh, unrest and uh, everything else that's it's just circulating right now uh, over concerns about safety. And so it's certainly not just the pandemic anymore that's a concern. There's a lot of folks that are, are really, really still very much upset. So when we get to some of the issues in agriculture, it'll be interesting to see what does Tom Vilsack consider to be top of the list? What will the Senate and House Ag Committees consider top of the list. Uh, we'll see what they, what direction they want to go first. Well, Senator Debbie Stabenow, who is uh, going to be the new chairwoman of the Senate Ag Committee, as expected, um, has made it clear that climate is going to be a top concern. Certainly that's something that uh, President-elect Biden has said is a very big issue. Uh, he'll have a pretty free reign to use things like budget reconciliation and and uh, work with the Congress to get some initiatives passed um, through that kind of a vehicle. And so um, if they can get these nominees approved and start to get the wheels turning here, I think it's going to be a pretty ambitious first 100 days for uh, the president-elect. And um, as soon as he's sworn in, he's, he's got a lot of things to get moving. But I would thoroughly expect 
climate. And uh, Chandler Gould in our Washington Week Review said this pretty clearly, I think. Um, it's not if, it's when uh, we're going to see climate legislation. So it's just really a matter of timing. And, of course, the biofuels industry will be watching closely how Secretary Vilsack and USDA handle the COVID aid funds at their discretion that can't, could be used for the biofuels industry. And we will see uh, if and how much he uh, will use for that. So that will be a big, uh, one of the big items as well. Lots going on, Sarah. As always, good to talk with you. We'll check in again next week. All right. Thanks very much, Mike. Take care, Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, we talk weather here in the U.S. and in South America. We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Atoms on Agriculture coming right up. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, Get to fresh air right away from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer at the latest numbers from the Purdue CME Group Ag Economy Barometer. We're looking at the December numbers. Perhaps the barometer numbers are up. Yeah, the, the barometer increased to 174 in December. But the real story of this, the index of the current conditions and index of future expectations, really moving in, in different directions or there's more divergence between those. And specifically, the index of current conditions reached an all-time high of 202 in December, where the index of future expectations was relatively flat in December. And so what's going on here, obviously, is because of the recent increase in prices, people are very optimistic about the outlook for the next year. And certainly with the prices that we've seen, uh, even since this, this survey was taken, that there's room for optimism in the next year or so. But they're a little less optimistic when you look out five years. And so, and so that's the real story this month. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. 
If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, I've seen some reports, some pictures, people in some dry areas, very happy to be getting some snow. Who gets moisture this week ahead? Well, Mike, uh, it's uh, going to be a pretty dry week over a lot of uh, the country. Um, we've got uh, some uh, winter-type precip uh, down in the Delta and the Deep South going on uh, right now, and that's the impulse that moved out of Texas uh, from the weekend. And uh, that uh, energy is going to work eastward into the Carolina coast. And uh, then later this week, we'll see some uh, lake effect-type snows in the eastern Midwest. But over the remainder of the primary uh, interior crop areas, there's not going to be very much. Um, Less than a tenth of an inch of moisture in uh, much of the plains and uh, in the western part of the Corn Belt, maybe a quarter of an inch uh, total. Most of that is going to be in the form of a clipper-type storm uh, system that works across mainly uh, kind of the northeastern plains, northern Midwest. Uh, at the end of the week, it could bring about uh, five to seven inches of snow to the Red River Valley in North Dakota and Minnesota, and then uh, from about three to five inches over the upper Midwest, and then you get down to you know like one to three inches over um, quite a bit of the um, of Midwest around I-80, and then kind of uh, kind of twirling into the Great Lakes uh, with that uh, clipper uh, that uh, is going to form. And then next week, uh, we just turn dry with a colder pattern and a lot more typical of uh, late January uh, than we've seen. We've had a very warm start to the year, and so far not any uh, real Arctic air that, that has moved in, even though it's been colder in the south. Uh, we're still not having a real bitter cold event at all. So dry weather concerns are going to continue. What is your longer range forecast for this winter? Uh, We're still looking for the uh, latter part of the winter to be uh, stormier and uh, colder uh, over much of the northern and uh, the central parts of the country with uh, the snow uh, activity picking up more into February and then kind of continuing into March. I think that uh, when we uh, get into that uh, end of the winter, into early spring, Mike, that there's going to be the uh, prospect for a, uh, a wetter uh, situation to develop, particularly east of the Mississippi. And, um, and west of the uh, Mississippi, the overall uh, trend is still looking pretty dry uh, to finish out the winter and go into the spring. And this is where the, um, the likelihood is that we're going to see drought continue and maybe even enhance and uh, not offer a whole lot of soil moisture ahead of the uh, crop year beginning in the springtime. We could actually see a a real uh, a real variability 
on uh, soil moisture when we get into the spring from west to east, with the west uh, having uh, very little, uh, relatively speaking, and then uh, from the from the uh, Mississippi River on east, um, a lot more uh, soil moisture in the profile, and maybe even uh, some areas uh, that are uh, borderline wet and uh, have to face uh, some delays in terms of field work. We could see that kind of a difference uh, when we get into the springtime. So that's a story we will be watching. The story weather-wise we are watching right now is in South America. What's the latest there? There's, uh, there's going to be a, a pretty good chance for rain across uh, quite a bit of Brazil during the coming week. And uh, the, the indications uh, are that, that Brazil is, uh, is likely to be able to uh, match uh, some of the projections for the new record soybean uh, crop. And a lot of that has to do with increased acreage. I know that. But as far as the uh, rainfall uh, situation, things have started to settle down a little bit in uh, Brazil, uh, except for the far northeast uh, corner of Brazil's crop area, uh, the state of Bahia, and then uh, into some other areas in far northeast Brazil, and maybe uh, still some concern in Rio Grande do Sul. Uh, Otherwise, conditions have uh, really gotten better uh, for uh, crop moisture, uh, particularly in Mato Grosso. And this week, we're going to see rainfall uh, over just about the entire Brazil crop area, all the way from north to south, which is, you know, just an immense amount of uh, territory of anywhere from two to five inches. Uh, So this is a promising uh, uh, active weather pattern this coming week in Brazil. And even in Rio Grande do Sul, they could get anywhere from one to three inches of rainfall. So it is looking better in Brazil. Um, And, uh, you know, this uh, crop moisture, we know how soybeans can respond to it. Uh, I think that they will. And uh, like I say, the the prospects for some of these big production numbers, when you combine maybe uh, stabilizing the crop situation in terms of crop crop health, and then uh, add in the uh, increased acreage, uh, there's uh, going to be uh, still some big numbers that come out of Brazil once they get the combines rolling, and they have started to do some harvesting, uh, particularly in some uh, Mato Grosso areas in the north. Certainly market implications uh, with that uh, weather picture in South America. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So, Bryce, what's the latest on La Nina? Right now, La Nina is still a moderate uh, to strong event in the Pacific. Uh, the, um, the sea surface temperatures are running uh, right around 1 to maybe 2 degrees Celsius uh, below average uh, in the Pacific. Uh, so that is uh, all indica- in, an indicator of uh, La Nina conditions. Uh, the Southern Oscillation Index, uh, that barometer uh, pressure, uh, reading that the Australians uh, keep very close track of is uh, right around a, a plus um, 16 or so on the uh, 30-day average, and the 90-day average is at a plus 11 kind of in that neighborhood. So we are looking at a moderate to strong La Nina event. Uh, it looks like it's going to stay with us all the way through the balance of the uh, first quarter of this year and really not uh, uh, showing much of a uh, decline until we get into the late spring, early summer. So uh, La Nina is likely to stay with us all the way 
through uh, the winter season here in the northern hemisphere and then uh, through most of the spring season as well. Uh, these, uh, these features, when they develop, have a real habit of uh, maybe hanging on a little bit longer than the uh, forecast models like to present. And so I think that we could have some of that La Nina influence uh, certainly last all the way through the uh, planting season, Mike, and then uh, into a fair portion of the growing season ahead of, uh, say, corn pollination, soybean bloom time. All right. And some of the other spots around the world that we watch as far as production is concerned, let's start with Russia. What's happening there? Well, the uh, the Russian uh, uh, wheat areas uh, have uh, have actually had some moisture here during the last week. Um, there's uh, maybe a little bit uh, better uh, situation for crop moisture for the winter wheat areas than they had uh, at the uh, start of December. Uh, there still is uh, kind of a longer-term concern about the South Russia uh, soil moisture areas. Uh, Australia uh, got through the wheat harvest with a lot better uh, production than they had a year ago because they had some very favorable rains uh, during the uh, harvest or during the late uh, uh, crop development stages and then uh, into the start of harvest. So uh, the, the Australian wheat crop really did quite well, and right now they have pretty favorable soil moisture uh, for their uh, summer crops. And um, in China, there's uh, just kind of uh, a, a quiet uh, period uh, during, the, uh, during the winter season. Uh, northeastern China had uh, a lot of storm damage uh, during, the, uh, during the summertime because of some uh, just vicious typhoons that uh, caused flooding in China and may have actually contributed to some issues that the market has, uh, has had an effect of on uh, with uh, more Chinese business, uh, not only for soybeans, but also for corn and maybe even wheat. So there's um, a kind of a quiet period in China right now ahead of the start of their spring season as well. All right. All ties together and certainly has an impact on markets. Bryce, as always, thanks for the uh, overview. We appreciate it. Good to talk to you, Mike. Thank you. Take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, of course, uh, tomorrow's a big uh, report day, and uh, we'll preview that report a little bit later with Naomi Bloom with uh, Total Farm Marketing, get her thoughts on what we might see from uh, USDA tomorrow. But up next, RCAF USA has put together a long-range plan for the cattle industry, quite extensive. We'll go over some of the highlights of it when we come back and talk with the CEO of RCAF USA, Bill Bullard. That's coming up next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture. Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you, cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. 
What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Monday session is likely to see some two-sided back-and-fill trade as traders even up positions ahead of Tuesday's high-risk USDA reports. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading two and three-quarters of a cent lower at 4.93 and a half cent. The May contract down three cents at 4.94 and a half cent. March soybeans trading two and a fraction lower at 13.72 and a quarter. The May contract down a penny and a half cent at 13.69 and a half cent. Chicago wheat March is trading three and a quarter higher at 6.41 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat March up two cents at 5.96 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat March down a penny and three quarters at 6.06. The May contract down a penny and three quarters at 6.14 and a half cent. As corn future prices hover just below five dollars per bushel, the movement in feed prices will continue to be a significant focus for all livestock market activity. Traders will continue to look ahead to Tuesday's USDA and WASDE reports, focusing on potential market shifts in the coming days. April lean hogs are trading 42 cents lower at 72.40. The May contract down 75 at 77.07. March feeder cattle trading 62 cents lower at 136.10. The April contract down 80 at 138.27. April live cattle trading $1.15 lower at 118.15. The June contract down 92 at 114.35. In cash cattle trade, the bulk of trade took place last Thursday, seen with southern live deals ranging from $110 to $112 per hundredweight. Northern dress deals range from $174 to $180 per hundredweight. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 56, the NASDAQ composite up 134, the S&P 500 up 20. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
RCAF USA, USA has released its Cattle Industry Long Range Plan for 2021 through 2025. Joining us to talk about that is the CEO of RCAF USA, Bill Bullard. Bill, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is quite a, quite a plan, very extensive. Uh, so I know you've put you and uh, your uh, your group has put a lot of work into this. Kind of give us a little background on how you came up with this plan. Well, it, it's clear that the cattle industry is a separate and distinct industry from the beef industry. And so what we have been doing as an industry is following the beef industry for decades. And the principal goal has been to increase beef demand and increase exports. But there hasn't been a goal on increasing the profitability of cattle producers themselves, of increasing competition in the marketplace for those cattle producers and providing more transparency, and ensuring that cattle producers can retain and preserve their freedom and liberty to uh, to look at and assess the conditions in the marketplace and make their own production and marketing decisions. In other words, allow free market principles to dictate uh, how they operate in the industry and ensure that the regulatory environment is uh, adequate to ensure that they have opportunities to be profitable. So there are a lot of unique needs to cattle producers that have gone unaddressed for decades. And so our board sat down and put forth a forward-looking plan uh, that demonstrates that our industry is uh, concerned about the longevity of the industry and, most important, ensure that we can uh, continue to produce the highest quality product under the very best of conditions but be rewarded for that in the marketplace itself. And so that's uh, the impetus to this plan. And if you look at the cattle industry, you know, it's to the beef industry what the steelmakers are to the – or steel manufacturing industry is to the automakers – and for decades, the steel industry was convinced to follow the auto industry in promoting more export access and, and more demand. And finally, the steel industry realized that what was happening is they were supporting policies that were allowing the auto manufacturers to leverage down domestic steel prices by forcing the steel industry to sell their steel, superior steel, for the same price that they were obtaining in foreign countries, and it was lesser quality. So the steel industry woke up and said they need to change, fundamentally change policies. Now the cattle industry is waking up and saying we need to fundamentally change the direction of the industry in order to focus on the most important part of the industry, and that's its foundation. That's the U.S. independent live cattle producer. We're talking with Bill Bullard, CEO of RCAF USA, talking about their long-range plan for the cattle industry. Let's uh, hit some of the key areas, Bill. Let's start with uh, your position, uh, and and I know your position has yeah. uh, certainly been long held on country of origin, but let's talk about some of the specifics in this plan that you've put down. Sure. There's four specific uh, objectives of the plan. Number one is to grow demand for USA cattle by growing demand for beef exclusively produced for those cattle. And then we want to improve the profitability of the cattle producers themselves within the industry. And we need to do that by addressing the disparity in market power between the highly concentrated packers and the widely disaggregated producers. And then we need to intensify the efforts to preserve the freedoms and liberties of producers to assess the conditions in the marketplace and make their own uh, production and marketing decisions. 
And then we need to elevate the cattle industry's role in preserving for consumers an abundant supply of uninterrupted uh, beef deliveries to their grocery store shelves. So we have a lot of weaknesses that have been demonstrated in our industry over the past several years that remain unaddressed. And so uh, that's what this plan addresses. You know, how do you increase market competition? Well, you require the meat packers that have thinned the cash market beyond the point where it can uh, function as a price discovery tool. We need to restore the volume in that market. After all, the packers, even in this thin market, still rely on that ultra-thin market to price virtually all the rest of their cattle. We need to have robust competition and nothing less in the industry. And so that's why the plan calls for the support of Senator Grassley and Tester's bill that would require packers to purchase 50% of their product from the competitive cash market. And it does call for the reinstatement of mandatory country of origin labeling because that's the only way that we could increase demand for exclusively USA produced beef. Only if the consumers can distinguish the product can you create that demand. Once you create the demand there, you likewise create demand for cattle that are exclusively born and raised in the United States. And so the plan calls, for example, that at the end of five years, we want the production of USA beef to equal USA consumption of beef. And that means we need to grow our herd. We need to increase the production of USA produced beef. We need to create more opportunities for independent producers, both aspiring producers and current producers. And the only way to do that is set forth a long range plan that says, here is our vision. You know, we want to strengthen and build this industry. We want that will support our rural communities, restore vibrancy to the rural communities. And uh, very importantly, we need to ensure that the producers remain independent and they only remain independent if they themselves can make the production and marketing decisions that uh, they feel are best for their particular operations. So that's all embodied within this, as you said, a comprehensive plan, but it's very concise as well. It's very easy to read, very understandable, and obviously very catered towards or oriented towards the cattle sector of the multi-segmented beef supply chain. You alluded to some legislation. There is a legislative component to your plan, uh, some legislation that you do want to see passed. Uh, actually, there's three of them. We will need to pass uh, mandatory country of origin labeling so the superior U.S. product can be distinguished in the marketplace. Uh, we need to restore competition, which means we have to rebuild the lost volume in the price discovery market. That is the cash market. That's why we're supporting Senate Bill 3693. Um, and then... Uh, we need to take some additional reform measures to put back into the hands of the producers the ability to both monitor the marketplace and to uh, restore competition if they see a, a weakness there. Right now, producers are dependent on the federal government in order to preserve and protect competition in the marketplace. We see that they have been disinclined to do that. So producers themselves need to take a more active role, and the only way to do that is to make reforms, regulatory reforms, that currently constrain producers in the industry. So the regulatory uh, landscape that we operate in now has been carefully planned and devised by the beef industry, and it clearly benefits them. We need to uh, take back control of the cattle industry and we're going to need Congress to help us because we allowed some of these regulatory reforms to be put in place that have been uh, detrimental to the interest of independent producers. So a big part of what you're talking about is to work with members of Congress on these issues. 
Well, and the in- industry, both the beef and cattle industry, has worked with Congress for decades. So we need to continue working with Congress, but we need to be more focused. We need to express to Congress the, the importance, the critical importance of taking, making public policy decisions that do not impede the independent cattle producer's ability to be profitable within this industry. And so th- there are important lobbying effort, efforts uh, that are included in this plan. Let me mention one more, and that is, of course, to provide more opportunities for small packing plants, uh, both to ship beef in interstate commerce as well as to simply have more regional and local packing plants. So we need to remove some of the regulatory burdens on those smaller plants, and that would require Congress's action. And we saw the importance of those smaller plants this past year with COVID. Well, absolutely. Uh, Right now, there is no question at all, but we have a bottleneck in our system. Uh, and that uh, this concentrated industry was ill-prepared to address uh, the pandemic that we experienced. But we should expect that we sh- will experience more uh, strange anomalies in the marketplace, whether they're climate-related, uh, whether they're politically related. Um, we just have to prepare and reshape our industry so that it can continue to provide an uninterrupted supply of, of the highest quality beef in the world to consumers. All right, so you've released this long-range plan now. Um, so what do you do with it moving forward? You, you take it to members of Congress, you work with elected officials, folks at USDA, and, and, and get it in front of them? Yes, in fact, we shared this with the, uh, the Biden transition team as we're about to have a new Congress convene after January 20th. We've also shared it with members of Congress, and we are still in the process of creating awareness uh, among cattle producers to, to show them the details of the plan so that they can understand it. Because in order to affect this plan, we will need literally tens of thousands of cattle producers calling their respective members of Congress, urging them to take the steps that are contained in the plan in order to achieve the ultimate objective, and that is to restore the profitability and viability of cattle producers and, importantly, the rural communities that they support. And you can uh, take a look at this uh, long-range plan if you go to the uh, RCAF uh, website and uh, go over. As I said, there's quite a bit of information there. Bill, thank you for being with us and uh, bringing us up today, giving us a look into your long-range plan for the cattle industry. Good to talk with you. My pleasure. Thank you very much, Mike. All right. Bill Bullard, CEO of RCAF USA. Again, they've released their cattle industry long-range plan 2021 through 2025. A lot of attention will be focused tomorrow on the crop report. WASDE numbers coming out, and uh, this could be a big one. Already got a hot market. Does this add to it or slow things down? We're going to get a kind of a preview of that report. What does Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing, think will be in that report tomorrow? And what should we especially be watching? We'll ask her next right here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. 
Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're joined now by Brock Slaybaugh, Senior Vice President, Member Services for the National Rural Health Association. What can you tell us how the rural health care system is holding up? We're seeing some leveling of increases, at least in the spread of COVID infection. Some of the case rates as percentage of 
total testing going down a bit. But in some places, of course, we're still seeing surges uh, with hospitalization rates of 30% or more of total admissions due to COVID. And this is, of course, presenting some real challenges for many rural communities to be able to keep up with that surge in demand. And uh, we're watching that with great interest as we come off of the Christmas holidays now. Hopefully, we won't be seeing a similar increase after the Christmas holiday like we did after Thanksgiving. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Big report day coming up uh, tomorrow. A lot of anticipation. Let's get a preview with Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, good to talk with you. What are you expecting in the report? Well, Mike, we are looking for the report to show some some supportive information. Uh, the question, though, will be how supportive is it in comparison to how much has already been priced into the market already? So uh, quick breakdown, commodity by commodity. The ending stocks is the biggest thing that we need to be watching tomorrow. Uh, for soybeans, the ending stocks in December were pegged at 175 million bushels. Right now, the average estimate heading into the report is 140 million bushels, but the range of estimates is quite large. Some feel it could be down as low as 105. Some are thinking more like 166. So there's quite a range of opinions for tomorrow. And with corn ending stocks, uh, last month we're at 1.7 billion bushels, and tomorrow they're looking for 1.6. So again, lots of information to watch on the report in terms of keeping an eye on any changes to yield, of course changes to demand, and ultimately the ending stocks. And, and that's what we're going to be using probably for the next three months to see if markets can continue this triumphant run higher or if we have a, a significant correction here now along the way. Yeah, that's the big question. I mean, a lot of times we come into this report thinking, does it really, you know, spur the market? Well, this market's already at full gallop, it seems like. So the almost the bigger question is, does it slow it down any? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right on. So after the report comes out, depending on um, how bullish or bullish it's not, uh, we'll go right into watching South American weather. It's staying dry in Argentina, so ultimately that is supportive to corn and soybean prices. Um, but the crop in Brazil is um, getting some timely rains along the way here too. So a lot of moving parts, especially with all the um, action in Washington, D.C., with a new president coming in, what's that going to mean for different policies? So it's going to be, I think, a continued volatile year for prices, but thankfully we have higher prices uh, so that helps many in the agricultural industry and, and producers at home to just finally be able to take advantage of some of these opportunities in front of them. Yeah, I was talking about this last week. I mean, this report, um, depending on how it is viewed, of course, uh, I mean, it could slow things down a little, but even if it does, the prices are still going to be at much higher levels than we were looking at not that long ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, corn could set back and have a correction of about 40 cents and still be in an uptrend. Soybeans could have a correction of nearly a dollar and still be in an uptrend. And I think with what the, the bigger picture is that our ending stocks now are, are going to be snug until we get our crop planted in the spring 
and then finally harvested next fall. So um, it is a, a different dynamic in the marketplace. You know, we haven't had a good bull market for eight years. We we saw lower prices for five or six years after that, and now we're in the new decade here where um, we're back on the uptrend. Commodities are are booming, and again, it's because of lower production that we've had around the world and just strong demand continuing. So we're in kind of a little bit of a bubble in time right here, uh, aren't we, uh, Naomi? Because we're not planting yet, so we're not going to be adding to the stocks, and we're still waiting for the harvest really to happen in, in South America. So there's kind of this little window here while we wait. Yeah, absolutely. And so we saw China come in and buy soybeans on Friday, and they bought soybeans again this morning. So that tells me that they are still concerned of the situation that um, the supplies in the world are going to be smaller. And with the South American crop getting planted late, it's not going to be as readily available for harvest. So, so right now the United States is still going to be the best game in town until that South American crop really becomes available at the end of February. So in a sense, there, there is a lull for, for news, but it does keep support to the market because the United States has available supply yet to sell to the world. So that's good for us. But keep in mind, it is normal for the United States export market to kind of really significantly slow down starting in March because that's when the South American crop is available. So um, that's also coincides with the seasonal setback in prices where a lot of times your best grain marketing opportunities are in January and February, and then we get that seasonal setback lower until something happens in the summer to spur prices higher again. So a lot of questions and decisions to be made for U.S. producers. How much of this... Uh, this year's new crop, are they willing to market now? Yes, we are, we are definitely having those conversations with producers um, talking about old crop, what they've, what they've harvested, what's remaining in their bins, how aggressive should they be selling that, and where is the right place to be started on those new crop sales. If you look at these corn futures today, we're at 440, so a lot of people maybe be able to start a cash sale near the $4 level, depending on basis. November 21 beans today are at 11.50, so a same situation where, depending on basis, your first cash sales might be at that $11 mark. So really think about um, your cost of production, uh, understand the value that's there, be thinking about making those cash sales, and uh, it's just nice to finally be able to talk about higher prices because it's been so long since producers have had these opportunities. Mm -hmm. Do you see this then lasting a while, Naomi? I mean, we've, we've really flipped the script on this so much uh, when we're looking at stocks numbers, uh, the stock levels. Uh, so do you see this being a, a longer period now of uh, strong prices? That's a good question. And I would say that um, for the first half of 2021, overall prices should be supported higher. There's going to be setbacks along the way. But because of the 180-degree switch in the stocks, and the stocks-to-use ratio from the summer, uh, the market is well-supported until we know for sure what our production is going to be for the crop being planted in the spring. We'll have a better understanding of um, acres in a, a couple months here and where production could be, but the world is also very aware of the drought happening in the United States right now, and so they're equally watching uh, snowfall and rainfall this winter and into the spring because if we can't have a perfect start for our growing season in the springtime here, that's just another reason to keep this market momentum with higher prices going. 
Yeah, a lot, to, a lot to consider, a lot of moving parts, a lot of factors here. We'll watch it all closely and see what the numbers are, are coming out on Tuesday. Naomi, thank you very much. Good to talk with you. Thank you. Yep, you too. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. That wraps it up for today. Another big day coming tomorrow. Hope you'll join us right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.